first of all, a welcome to everybody. Uh, this is the um, next in the line of the FinTech with FI911 podcasts. I do like the term FinTalk. Actually, it's FinTalk. I'll start that again. Welcome. This is FinTalk with FI911. Welcome, everybody. Um, FinTalk is a series of podcasts, live podcasts, with industry experts talking about different subjects each month. Um, today's subject is consumer protection and how it impacts consumers, merchants, and financial institutions. So I'm really excited to get involved in this, this discussion. Um, you won't be listening to just my dulcet tones. I am joined today by two experts uh, in this field. First, we have Becky Clements, who's the Director of Payments at UK Finance. And we also have Craig McClure, who is Director of Relationship Management at FI911. Now, this is your great opportunity now to introduce yourself. So, Becky, if we could just start with you, if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, um, how, where you've been in the industry, and how long you've been in your current role and what it involves, that would be great. So, uh, I'm currently Director of Payments at UK Finance. I've been there for nearly three years. UK Finance is a trade association, and I run the payment stream of it which includes um, acquirers and, and cards, as well as interbank payments and European payments. Before that, I did four and a half years at Metro Bank, running their payment operations and their industry engagement. Um, and before that, I spent a very long time at NetWest. But I've always worked in payments since I left school. That's great. So, so you've got a deep understanding of the issuing side, as well as the acquiring side of the industry, have you? I'm... I'm, I'm Probably more on the acquiring side than the issuing side. Okay, well, I'll be looking forward for your um, views in a moment. And Craig, could you give us a little bit of background on yourself, please? Uh, sh- sure. Um, hi, Steve. So um, I currently work for FI911, as you said, where I'm a director of relationship management to so look after um, our sort of larger financial institution clients. That, that's kind of what I do day to day. I've been here for about three years. Before that, I was working at Visa for three years. Um, working with um, some large UK banks, um, issuing and acquiring work. And then before that, I spent about 14 years in um, a couple of, um, of of the UK banks. I started working when I was still at school at uh, Bank of Scotland, doing credit card applications on paper and scoring them with a red pen and all that stuff. And then just kind of stayed and, and worked in, in various kind of customer facing roles and then moved on to do some industry relations and then fraud and debit cards and acquiring. So I've got a, a good old background, in, but always um, kind of working uh, working in, in payment space. That's great. That, and Craig, that's exactly why you've been invited to this podcast, because you've got that experience. Um, I can't believe you've been in payments that long, Craig, and neither can I believe you're actually at school, but that's, that's quite impressive. I, I still um, look like I could be at school, don't I, Steve? That's the, that's the thing. And can I just ask you, did you have to throw out a young man called... Harry Potter from that room you're in at the moment, or is that, <laughs> is that really a room in your house? So we've just moved house in the last month, and um, I found this storage cupboard, which is actually like large enough for a desk. But it's a great place for me to to live and close the door on at the end of the day. Which, um, but it's a bit of a cupboard. Come sauna, come uh, come Harry Potter. Yeah, right. Um, okay, perfect. So let's get into let's get into the subject then, um, and I do think this is great timing for this. Uh, this discussion because it was only last week 
I was looking at the TV uh, in the UK and a Visa TV ad came up and it was focused purely on consumer protection or as they call it, zero liability, which I find fascinating. Um, gone are the days when they used to talk about interest rates, ubiquity, global acceptance, and perhaps reward schemes. And I know a lot of that is curtailed at the moment with COVID, but they, they were majoring through a, through a TV advertising campaign that costs a lot of money on consumer protection. So I think this discussion is, is perfect. Um, my view is that we're taking consumer protection for granted. And it isn't that long ago when cars came into the market in the mid fifties, where people paid by cash, before that it was barter, sometimes check. And really the main foundations and principles of payment were really around buyer beware. So if a buyer had a problem with the purchase, they'd go back to the merchant or perhaps they'd go to court. But, but that would be it. Then card payments start and we start again dispute management. I'd like for your view on why you think card schemes um, introduced um, dispute management for, for card holders in, 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 within, within cards. I promised Becky I'd do a question, didn't I? So I'll, I'll, I'll pitch an answer. I mean, you talk about cash and checks, Steve, those are kind of irrevocable. So once you've handed over the cash or the check, you can't, you can't get it back. So when you hand over a payment card with, a, with an acceptance brand on it, you're kind of entering into a bit of a leap of faith that the payment will work and that there's some guarantee around that. And one of those guarantees is that if something goes wrong, there's a way to, to fix that. And, and car payments kind of back in the 50s, early 60s, started to be about paying for hotels, travel, you know, in that kind of space. And there always was a need to fix stuff like, hey, my hotel I didn't get the upgrade or I, or I got you know I damaged the rental car or those kind of um, those sorts of disputes and just over time we've just added more and more protections on as, as cards have grown into different different acceptance um, areas I mean now, now we're in you know cards are everywhere and, and have been more important than ever in the last year and because protections have just grown along with that over the years I think so so Craig do you think it was something to do with a new payment market coming into existence and people need to find ways to get the payment um, accepted by cardholders, give them a bit more trust and belief in it, trust and belief that they already have in cash and checks, et cetera, at the time. I think it was for, for, for everybody involved. I mean, the, the, the customer gets the, the, the knowledge that he can make the payment and he's going to get the goods that he's, that he's, that he's or the services that he's paying for and there's a guarantee that no one can fleece him at the other end of that by, by not giving him them or giving him a substandard service or, um, or, or indeed not even existing when he goes to get the service. Um, and then for the, for the retailer, the, the, his end of the bargain is he gets um, access to the consumer being able to spend money without having to go to the bank and get the cash. I mean, which, um, you know, 50 years ago, you know, even 10 years ago, even today is, is a valuable commodity for any retailer. Yeah, agreed. Um, just considering that then, so considering the introduction of card payments into, into global acceptance, what do you think the impact has been on financial institutions, consumers, and indeed merchants um, with card payments coming in and replacing payment methods like cash and checks? Um, so, so, I mean, the... the I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of long story, isn't it? But I mean, the the... the, the the story is, is a massive one. I mean, the, 
the impact is in is in is in is is, is administering the security and the protection. So a lot of it is about that. Because if you go to the bank and you on a Friday after you've been paid and you draw out your 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 X amount of money and you shove it in your pocket and you spend it during the week, it's kind of at your risk. Once you've got that money, it's at your risk. Once you're making payments using the bank's facilities, there, there's an element of shared endeavor in that. So the bank has a, a role to play in protecting you. Um, from loss, from fraud, from uh, people being able to steal that money. And then, uh, as we just touched on, there's a, a growing, or there has been a role for the, for the bank or the, the payment institution in, in protecting you after you've made the purchase. And it's the global. It's, you yeah. know, if you were, you know, travelling, you'd have to, if I went from the UK to France, I'd have to change my money up. Um, if I went to France to the US, I'd have to change my money up again. If I've got, you know, a card in my pocket, I can pay as a consumer at most outlets. Ubiquity, absolutely, Becky, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. So so if we think about the impact that it has on merchants, for instance, so a dispute, a merchant is there to sell their goods and services. And hey, presto, disputes come along. What's, what's been the impact on merchants over the years of the dispute process itself and the, and the growth in disputes? I think that as car payments have become like, you know, everywhere, as, as Becky just said, I mean, that there are obviously spaces for people to misbehave in that. So if there are, um, you know, merchants or retailers, whoever they are in the world who are not living up to their end of the bargain in taking a payment, then that's why the dispute process exists to, to make sure that there is a resolution of whatever that problem is. And it's a fair resolution. It was always designed to ensure that the, the outcome is is just, um, you know. But but as with most things, um, you know, there, there is there is creep for 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 mistakes. There is creep for 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 sort of bad behaviour. And we've seen that that that, that um, almost an entire industry has grown out of managing these processes. So for retailers, they have to understand if they're entering into taking car payments, then they're always going to see these disputes and they have to be ready to be able to, to answer them um, so that they can defend themselves if, if they think it's unjust or they have to be ready to understand that, that you know, that there's, there's a financial loss coming if, if they've done the wrong thing themselves. Do you, do you, Craig, do you think that merchants are aware of this? I think they are when it happens to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, not so sure that, I'm not so sure that up front most walk into this thinking I need to really think about, you know, how I manage... The, the, the risk of a, of, a, of a dispute or a chargeback coming potentially, you know, some, some time after. Um, I mean, in, in my experience, we found that, that, that or I found that, that merchants, once they've, once they've been um, burned, for one of a better word, once they've been burned by chargebacks, they tend to take, to take their, their role in the whole process of, of doing, doing the right things in car payments quite seriously. And with COVID, you know, more people are using cards, more people are buying things online. So I think some merchants have, um, really woken up and smelt the coffee when it's come to disputes and chargebacks? No, sure, I understand. We'll, we'll come on to COVID in, in, a, in a couple of minutes, if that's all right. But just in terms of, if we think about the players in the payments ecosystem, and I'll keep it simple, we think about the issuers, the merchants and the acquirers, and we can include gateways in this. What, what do, you, do you think that each part of the payments ecosystem is well positioned for dispute management? For instance, are acquirers well positioned to support their merchants with any queries? Um, are issuers able to support their, all their cardholders with all their queries? Is the, is, the, is the payments ecosystem able to scale 
when it comes to disputes. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? So in, in my opinion, uh, and my opinion only, Steve, uh, car, car payments, um, in, in terms of the front end of it, so the, the kind of sexy end of paying for things, has, has evolved at breakneck speed in the last 10 years in particular. Um, you know, we've gone from 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 you know magstripe or clunk you know zip zap type paper based transactions. We've moved to contactless. We're using mobile phones. We're using um, you know all sorts of technique payments. The bit at the back of the office where we do disputes and chargebacks hasn't really moved as fast as that. So it's still very um, difficult, complicated, time consuming, paper based, um, and and as a result of that, it, it is. It has meant that that most of the players, whether they are the issue require gateway or, or indeed the end merchant or indeed the consumer understanding what his rights are, it, it's not it's not quite as digital and as super as the front end experience. I would say, it's my opinion. I mean, Becky, I don't know what you think. Uh, no, I agree with you. you know, I think paying for stuff has come so much easier in the last ten years, um, especially you know the contact limit gone up to forty five. I think it will probably go up to a hundred. You know, mm. But still in the, in the back end, you know, if you have to do a chargeback as a consumer, um, you know, I did one with um, a hotel took an extra night off um, my credit card and I had to do a chargeback. And it took me probably about four weeks to get it resolved, which is not a good consumer experience. Becky, just picking up on that point then, as a consumer experience, why isn't four weeks good enough? What, what is the expectation of cardholders when it comes to resolving a dispute? I suppose because it's so instant when you buy something, yeah. um, you think getting the money back will be as instant as it was paying for it, and it's not. Okay. And, and in that process, I mean, uh, you've been part of the payments world for a long time, but in that process, did you consider the side of the merchant on this? Or was it clear to you that what, everything you were saying was accurate, correct, and therefore you should quite rightly get your money back um i had to prove that i hadn't stayed the extra night in the hotel and the hotel was in toronto so i had problems getting through to them that's why i went to um the card issuer okay okay yeah, that's interesting um I, I, so steve i'll just i'll just uh, i think to your point though what, what's missing in that expectation of now immediately i want it is that oftentimes the consumer uses that route as a way to, 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 to get the gratification of the instant refund or the, or, the, or the kind of straight through resolution. But at the back of it, there is a business there who's maybe saying, hang on, you know, I had terms and conditions with you that said this and you've broken that agreement or actually you, you did stay the extra night or you let, you know, you, just because you checked out at three in the morning doesn't mean you didn't stay or whatever their story is. I mean, and the right of reply is the bit that takes a bit of time. So instant, instant doesn't always work with, with the resolution of disputes or chargebacks. Yeah. Well, I guess we've got different sides of this, of the coin here, haven't we? We've got the cardholder like, like Becky thinking the, the resolution should be instant. She wants her money. She wants to go spending it again. You've got the poor old merchant at the other end thinking, well, what have I done wrong? Um, I've already banked the money. I'm trying to use it in my business. And the, the, the two elements of this are poles apart in terms of, in terms of their expectations. Um, I'm conscious that card schemes introduce dispute management, but also over the years, various governments around the world have added legislation to sort of sit on top of what already exists from the, from the schemes. And I'm just wondering, has it gone too far? 
Um, is there too much um, legislation now around disputes and settling consumer queries to the detriment of the financial institutions and, and, the, and the merchants? And again, I'm just picking up on Becky's experience there, that, that immediacy puts an enormous amount of pressure on the whole ecosystem. What are your thoughts on that? Because of, my sense is that governments and legislation around the world kind of use consumer um, legislation as a bit of a vote winner, bit of a, we're doing the right for you, Mr. Consumer, but don't necessarily think about other parts of the payment system. What, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think it's gone too far? Do you think it's nicely balanced? What are your thoughts? Um, hard one, hard one. Because um, uh, I always like to think from the consumer side of it, rather than from the um, acquirer or the merchant or even the, the bank. Um, sure. Because I don't think in other parts of the payments ecosystem, they do think about the consumer, whereas I think in the, in the cards world, they do. Um, so I, I think it's, it's good. Um, probably if I was a bank or an issuer, I, I might not. Um, but as, as a consumer, I, I like that protection. Okay. It's a hard question. I mean, like I was working in. That's why I'm here, Craig. I know you're all about the hard questions. You're like you're like um, Paxman or something. I <laughs> um, I was working for one of the high street banks when we did PSD Payment Service Directive One. So sort of back in 2008-2009, and you know that introduced the concept of an immediate refund if the customer said I did not authorize this transaction, and that placed an enormous burden on the banks because we've never done that before. We'd always say, well, we'll have a think about it, you know, and we'll get back to you and we'll see if we can recover it in a chargeback before we decide whether you're liable. And that switched the equation to say, actually, the customer always gets his money unless you can, you know, unless basically you can prove at you that you were there and it was you, which is very difficult to do. Um, so things like, you know, e even th there are examples of customers having entered the PIN, but they say it wasn't them. And then it's about how did it get disclosed? And so it becomes very customer weighted to, to on, on their side. And But I think though that, and you talked about the visa zero liability guarantees and things like that, that kind of layer on top of these existing legislative guarantees, give customers a, a, an assurance of trust that when they're making electronic payments, it's, it's, it's going to work and it's going to be nothing bad can happen. I mean, and, and that can only be a good thing. I mean, there are other you know, examples of regulations like distance selling that exists in various forms across, across Europe. And, and then, uh, in the UK, we've got Section 75 Consumer Credit Act, which dates back to the 70s, but basically yeah. makes the bank sort of jointly liable when you make certain transactions, which which places that kind of burden of shared um, shared risk when making large transactions. And that's a, a good protection for consumers and it, and it works. Um, but I think to Becky's point, if I were a, a bank, I might be thinking sometimes it's gone too far because I end up with, banks definitely end up with losses that they wouldn't like to take because yeah. they're sort of forced to. Yeah, okay, understood. Um, so it leads nicely to my next question, my next thought. Is it working? So is the consumer protection that is now in existence, is it, is it working? Does it work for all parties? What are your I thoughts think, on that? Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen any evidence of, of um, you know, the usual suspects in terms of the consumer champions shout, shouting that it's not working. Um, I mean, there are always noises and, and those tend to be around, I mean, I, I know Becky, you do a lot of work with 
um, or, or UK finance does a lot of work in, in financial crime with scams and faster payment, especially sort of payments initiated in that in that way. And the, the bank's responsibility in, in that area, and there's a lot of debate. But but I think for mainstream kind of um, consumer protection in, in terms of just paying for everyday things, it, it, it broadly works. I mean, consumers do abuse chargebacks as well. Um, mm. I run a chargeback team in, in a bank. And um, it, it was a guy who said he hadn't been in the bookies and his card, you know, he hadn't made that bet. Um, but luckily, the, the bookie had a camera on him the whole time and we could prove that he had been in the bookies. But he was trying his luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just picking that up, that must put an enormous burden on the issuer and then indeed the acquiring the merchant to, because at a certain stage they're almost guilty before being proven innocent. So um, your sense is that from a consumer point of view, this is working. Um, but I think on the other side of the coin here, we've got to um, accept that for the issuer and the acquirer, and indeed the merchant, there's an enormous amount of work and effort and resource tied up in chargeback management. And certainly for a lot of merchants, I think, you know, a lot of merchants will see this as too much and therefore they don't, they treat chargebacks as a cost of doing business rather than trying to defend their business because it's not really what they focus on. Just to bring this kind of right up to date, if we think about COVID and Becky, you, you touched upon this. When we think about COVID and the impact globally, particularly in travel and entertainment, I think it's fair to say. What's your view on how the consumer protection has, has held up? And I'm not just talking here about the merchants, sorry, about the cardholders. I'm also thinking about the whole ecosystem. So if we think about the merchant impact and the acquirer impact and the issuer impact as well, how do you think the whole system has held up and coped and managed with this? I think it's done better than... Um... I would have expected. I mean, I would never expected a pandemic in my lifetime, but the, the way, you know, the, the holidays all stopped, you know, wedding venues were shut, um, you know, gigs and open air things were all shut down. I think it held up particularly well, but Craig, you might have a different view on that. Um, I mean, I, I think COVID tested chargebacks like they never have been. Uh, and exposed them and made them visible and, and more people know about them than they than ever did. And that probably highlights, if nothing else, the importance of it. Because like probably the one of the biggest examples was airlines taking like 16 weeks to get to your email about a refund. You know, you've got a chargeback, right? People got to know that and they were exercising that chargeback right to get their money back. Um but so without it, customers were completely at the at the you know, at, at the will of an airline going, well, it's going to take me three months because I've got nobody in the office and I'm, I've got 15,000 queries. So the system the system did work. Could it be improved? I think there's tons of lessons to learn out of the back of COVID for how we can improve it. Um, but, but I mean, you know, we sit in that industry and, and, and it's only fair to say that, that, that for the vast majority of people, it did work last year and, and, and it showed and it showed that. Were there mistakes? Yes. Did people get double refunded? Did people make make profits out of making refunds, charges, vouchers, and 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 getting refunds from other places? Yes. Did a lot of businesses lose money? Where but but where they where they didn't have probably, um, and that will all come out in the wash. But um, I think if there had not been a chargeback system, we'd be facing a 
a much more bleak situation in terms of how, how people got made good for stuff that got cancelled last year. Good, good points. And, and from your experience of both of you, from what you've heard in the uh, payments world around how COVID went, have you become aware of any improvements that you think could be made in the process? You know, if we were to face another similar situation, I don't even want to think about one, but um, if we were to face a similar situation, are there, th- are there things, are the processes, are there procedures that should or can be put in place that would help the consumer and help the merchant and help the schemes in, in such an environment again? Or do you think it's a matter of falling back on the established processes that we have in the expectation that they will be good enough? I think, Craig, whenever we've had sort of a, a disaster, an airline go bust, even before COVID, we've always gone back and looked at lessons learned and how mm-hmm. could we find those procedures. And, and that will be constant. I think we will continue to do that, you know, as we come out of this pandemic. I, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think, um, I mean, as you say, like whenever we've had, you know, thinking back into the past of large airline groups or travel agencies or, or, or groups that have collapsed and there's a lot of money at stake, you know, everyone always does learn lessons from those I, I think here what what became very evident to, to me last year is that consumers panic quite quickly because nobody was talking to them about what what was going to happen so they didn't know when the airline was going to get back to them they didn't know what their rights were because it wasn't clear between consumer law if you paid with a credit card versus a debit card where you paid with a you know a cash in the travel agency whatever the method was just a bit of a lack of clarity and I think I think you know, a, re- a, a bit of a relook at how customers understand their rights, how what those rights are, how they differ between different payment methods is something that will become more important. And then if there is another, you know, God forbid, another kind of mass mass event where we can't do anything for a year, then then we then then lining up on, on what people can expect, I think, will be will be easier to prevent consumers having to panic in the way they did. And I was one of them. Uh, you know, I, I was going, I've got a lot of money in the game here. I, I need to make sure I get it back and I don't lose it. And no, no one's talking to me. <laughs> Good point. Um, so take this one step further now and think about the growth in payments. Um, it doesn't just stop at, at um, credit cards and debit cards. I'm thinking now of products like buy now, pay later or, or crypto payments or, or bank payments open banking, that sort of thing, Becky. Um, do you think dispute processes are needed with all of these payment methods to, to assist with consumer adoption? I think if a, if a consumer uses a faster payment to buy goods or services, um, they need protection. But if a, a consumer uses a faster payment, say me to pay Craig for my lunch, a fiver, um, I don't think they do. So I think we need to look at the different class payments um, for these bank-to-bank, interbank payments, and as an industry work out, how do we keep the people protected when they're buying goods and services, but not penalise people who are using those rails just to pay a friend? Okay, so different levels of protection depending on the on the value? On the value and, and the purpose. Well, that's, that's an interesting step. I mean, at the moment, people don't need to worry about that with card payments, so we're introducing a level of complexity there. Do you think... Do you think consumers will accept that? I think we have to, as an industry, make it very simple for consumers to understand. We, we, we shouldn't complicate it too much. 
And do you think the legislators will understand that? Will they see a difference between a £10 tra- transaction and a, and a £1,000 transaction? Who knows? Who knows? Um, we're still sort of working through that. and But I don't think open banking payments will really take off until there is some consumer protection there. What, why would I want to use a TPP when I could use my credit card or my debit card? What's a TPP? Third party payment provider. Sorry. Thank you. And Craig, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I mean, I, I I agree. I think I think consumers would find it very hard to accept that if they paid a retailer, perhaps because a retailer had preferred to be paid that way, that they didn't get the same protection that they would have had if they'd done it using a card. I think that that's a reasonable expectation, uh, and and I think this is all about expectation. Consumers expect this from from the financial services industry. If it's not there, questions would be asked, and in fact, it would be a scandal if there was a you know, a, a sort of um, bleeding heart stories of consumers missing out or because unscrupulous retailers got away with taking their money and didn't deliver the goods or or provide the services. So but I think to, to Becky's point, that faster payments can democratise, anyone can use it really. So it's about understanding there's a category of payments where you're paying for goods and services and then there's a category of payments where you're paying, you know, your mum for your share of whatever or Becky for the lunch. And it's getting into the differences between the two and then it gets, I guess it just becomes more complicated when you say, right now we need rules then for this. Yeah. What are the rules of engagement between the person you're paying and the person who pays? And then, you know, the reason that Visa and MasterCard work the way they do is because there's an exchange of money between the parties to make all that happen. So faster payments is largely free to the, to the participants. So, so that, that's something as well that, that the kind of economics of how all this protection works needs to be baked into it, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. That that seems so. Do you think? Do you think some consumer protection should be factored into new payment methods right at the start? Because we're talking about payment methods now that are in existence, but they don't carry any protection. Um, do you think to? Do you think they should going forward? Yeah, I think with faster payments, thirteen years ago when you know the, the concept was out there, it wasn't for buying goods and services. It was for you know, paying your mum, it was for, you know, um, it, it could be, you know, uh, I, I'm paying my lunch and things like that, but it wasn't, it wasn't for goods and services, but that's evolved over the years. So when they started, they didn't think about consumer protection because I don't think it was needed. I think that's only really come to light in the last, I don't know, three to five years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was never for person to per it was always for person to person not person to business you know because yeah. before it was person to person was three days and backs which is not really great for a customer but um so I, I, but i think any any new mechanism of payment that doesn't have how are consumers protected in mind at the start is 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 not doomed but is but but is almost destined to have that retrofitted either because the regulator gets involved or because they then have to later because because the volume demands that they do so thinking about it up front and making that work on your own terms is 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 um i would say is important yeah and, and i guess also when you think about credit cards one of the mantras from credit cards or any um consumer expert would say put it on your credit card mm. if you're holding on your credit card you've got protection and nobody really knows that, why though i love that because you see the consumer but why though well i just i just have the ethereal sense that there's a protection <laughs> that yeah. I've never needed to know about or never needed to use, but it's there. <laughs> it exists. Yeah. And, and I guess every other payment method needs to raise the yeah. game. And it needs to develop a, an aura of protection. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, which, which is an interesting <laughs> one. Um, so do you think just, again, thinking about the payments ecosystem and new, new entrants into the system, and there are many, there's con- many more uh, acquirers than certainly when I first joined the ecosystem, many more gateways and such like many more issuers. Do you think consumer protection is a barrier for entry to any of these models? A lot of the new players aren't necessarily, don't have necessarily uh, big, have big back office staff. They're relatively lean. But when it comes to dispute management, this takes resource. So do you think, do you think there's a way in which financial institutions can, can handle this requirement to have a dispute uh, process um, capability in-house, which doesn't involve them in recruiting rafts of people and, and having the associated costs. What are your thoughts on that? For, 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 for me, I, I mean, I, I mean from, from where we sit in FI911, Steve, I, I guess we've seen some really great examples of, of new entrants to the market playing with traditional technology and new technology yep. who've thought about how they're going to do consumer protection as part of the initial offer have done well out of that. Those who've come to it later going, ah, oh, we didn't think of that, or, or or, it's become more of a pressing issue because it's a demand on them, have, have struggled with it. I, I don't think it's reinventing the wheel, but I think, you know, there are there are, there are places in the market to go to get the expertise. So you don't need to sort of in, in, in recruit thousands of people, but I think it's something that, that should be thought about at the beginning of any journey into payments, or you will come a bit of a cropper out as a result of it. I agree with you, Scott. I agree with you, Craig. What did you call me there? Would you scoff? I was more surprised at being. I, I was more surprised at being agreed with, frankly, Steve. <laughs> um, look, that's been great. Um, do you have any other points to add in terms of consumer protection? Uh, where you think it's going? Um, what the other challenges are that are that are coming up for 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 payment methods? Anything else to add in our discussion? I suppose from Interbank perspective, the new payments architecture for the retail payments, which are backs and faster payments, they really need um, to think about consumer protections for that, because there's no point in having a new bit of architect that doesn't have consumer protections built into it. Yeah, and I, and I saw in the, the, the European Commission's um, retail payment strategy last year, they specifically talked about a need to improve trust in instant payments but almost with a bit of a question mark about how that would be achieved. So I think it's the same agenda internationally. Um, and, and probably this won't hit a tipping point of, of, of you know, becoming mainstream for consumers to pay for things until there is some kind of a, I know I'm protected, that aura that goes with cards exists in, in this as well, I think. That's great. I'd like to thank you both for joining. And thank it's you for pleasure. your input today. Much appreciated. Thank you for your facilitation. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, bye.